welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say I'm here with Michael Gelb. Now, Michael is the co-author of The Healing Organization, uh, and that was uh, the topic of a previous podcast with Raj Sisodia. I, I saw his name on the book. I already knew Raj. And since I've researched Michael, I've dived into some of his works, and I have been yeah, thoroughly energized by the experience. Uh, there's Think Like Da Vinci. Uh, there's um, the art of connection and i yeah have have emerged from this yeah like really really enriched actually by your work michael so you know just just thank you is the first thing to say thank you okay now now we're left with the um yeah the fascinating challenge to find a way in this conversation to get from leonardo da vinci uh, to the healing organization which as i said is your late, latest work with raj sisodia um, but yeah, I, I'm um, really lit up by yeah the, the, what I've learned about Leonardo da Vinci and how you've distilled it in, into a, a sort of practical philosophy for the rest of us. Uh, so yeah, should we start with that book? Uh, and I know you talk about it a little bit in the book, your, your inspiration for it, but could you just talk us through the inspiration for that book? So how to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci? Yeah, how to, Vinci, how to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, yeah. Sure, well, when I was growing up, Leonardo da Vinci was my hero along with Superman, except I remember when I discovered that Superman was just a comic book character and Leonardo da Vinci was real. So we, before we started the show, we were discussing the fact that I used to live in England. And when I was there, I connected with Tony Buzan, the creator of Mind Mapping. I was training as an Alexander Technique teacher wound up giving Alexander Technique lessons to Tony. And, and what's Alexander Technique for people? Just to not, not familiar Alexander with that. Alexander Technique is the method that they teach at the Royal Academy of Drama and Music for developing a powerful stage presence. They teach it at the Juilliard School here in New York. And it's a marvelous methodology for developing poise, presence, grace in everyday life. So I was trained, I was living in, London training as an Alexander Technique teacher and Tony and I connected up. He invited me to be part of a corporate seminar that he was leading for a group of senior executives. This is way back in the late 1970s. And we spent the next few years leading the seminar together. It was called the Mind and Body Seminar. So this was kind of ahead of its time. We right. were teaching Mindfulness, meditation, juggling, mind mapping, memory development, body-mind fitness, and the Alexander Technique, and so on. So one of the other big focuses, part of the reason that these companies engaged Tony and I to teach this seminar, is they were interested in being more creative and having cultures that promoted innovation. So I would talk about Leonardo da Vinci and I would read excerpts from his notebook and also it just happened that Tony was inspired by Leonardo as well and he'll even he would have told you that it was looking at da Vinci's notebooks and Thomas Edison's notebooks that helped him inspire him to create mind mapping so over the years I would I would refer to Leonardo tell stories about him and then in the early 1990s, 
I was invited to speak in Florence to a group of company presidents known as YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And I, I knew they wanted something really special. They told me. And I, I just, out of the blue, I said, how about how to think like Leonardo da Vinci? And they said, could you really do that? And I said, sure. So <laughs> I, I, gave, I gave this talk in 1994 and it was very well received. And I thought I should turn this into a book. So I spent the next four years. It was a great opportunity to immerse myself in this lifetime interest. I literally went to the place where Leonardo was born. I went to the place where he died. I walked in his footsteps. I read his notebooks over and over again. I visited the great museums of the world where I could contemplate his works. I interviewed the great Da Vinci scholars. I really did start dreaming about him. And from those dreams, these seven principles emerged. And the book came out in 1998 and was a huge bestseller, still is. So it, because, and the reason is that everybody knows that Leonardo is maybe the greatest genius and people know he's the ultimate Renaissance individual. Uh, he really represents, he's an archetype of human power and potentiality. And I was guided to ask this very simple but powerful childlike question. And the question was, what can we learn from him? What's he trying to teach us? So as I immersed myself into his psyche, into his notebooks with that question in mind, I felt like I was taking dictation from the universe. You know, just, oh, here's what Leonardo is trying to tell people. You have to just translate it from Renaissance language to contemporary language and then help people figure out how to actually embody this. What is Leonardo telling us to do differently if we really want to be creative in our lives, whether in business, as a parent, as a partner, or just being human? Right. Yeah. And, and, and just the, the story that you shared, and you share it in the book, for me, really embodied the, the first principle, this curiosity curiosity as you know, to use Italian, this idea that we, you, you immerse yourself and you sort of allow yourself to be consumed by this curiosity. And it seems to me that for most people, when they're asked to give a seminar, maybe they're thinking, okay, I'm going to read a few books and I get my PowerPoint straight. But you, you're like interviewing all the experts, you're touring the world. I mean, talk about sort of commitment to an idea. I mean, that to me was extraordinary. Were you sort of conscious of that as you, as you did it? Or? Well, it's funny you say that. Thank you for, for, for noticing that. And I wasn't self-conscious about it. It's just kind of always been the way that I am. And that's what I've done through my entire career. So you mentioned all these, these different books. You see them behind me. There's 17 that I've written so far. I just sent in the next one. And Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. But they're all, all of them are an expression of something that I'm passionately curious about that I believe will be helpful to other people. So that's, that's the, that's the sweet spot. I have to be passionately interested in it. And then I have to have a sense that it might be of service to other people 
for me to express that passion in the form of a book or a audio program or a video or so on. So that's, that's just been what I've always done. And then when it is funny, when I wrote the Da Vinci book and I realized that Curiosita was the first principle for thinking like Leonardo. Curiosita, okay, that's better. <laughs> it is the driving power of all genius, that all genius is driven by the desire to understand usually everything. The great geniuses want to know everything. They want to know the mind of God. They want to know the secret of life. So I saw this, you know, Leonardo just was passionately curious throughout his life. So was Marie Curie. So was Einstein. So was Thomas Edison. So was every great genius. And so is every healthy human child. That's our birthright. We're born with this curiosita. We're also born with unlimited imagination and abundant energy. But what happens is people go to school, they focus gets put more on answers than on questions, on behaving appropriately rather than playing and exploring and expressing yourself. This tends to get damped down, in some cases stifled. And that also is often the case in the world of work. And that was fine when most organizations were more bureaucratic, when change wasn't very rapid, but those days are long gone. So now everybody really needs to think like Leonardo da Vinci, recover that natural birthright of curiosity, wake up your imagination, and what you'll discover is that you then have boundless energy. So if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or beyond, and you want more energy, get more curious, wake up your imagination, think like Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, and I've been experimenting with some of the ideas since I've read the book. And when you talk about this way that we're entrained to to think in this very this very narrow way, and one of the things you promote in this book is just, is to mind map. And I've been it's only been a few days since I read it, but I've been starting to mind map. This morning I woke up early. I'd been on a walk with my kids yesterday, and I'd seen a a tree, right? And I was curious about what tree it was. Turns out it's an ash tree. I found on the internet this picture of ash leaves and so on. And I spent like half an hour in my sketchbook this morning. I'd awoken earlier. So this is like 4.30 in the morning. And I'm sketching out these ash leaves on, on this mind. And, and I felt myself starting to feel guilty. And I really had to fight this impulse to say, no, no, Richard, you could be doing something more productive. How is this going to help you with your business? You know, you're not, you're not doing exercise. You know, you, and, and I had to, had to constantly sort of beat down these voice saying, you know, you should be doing something, you know, more productive or um so something right but this i found it quite actually quite difficult to just go with this passion i had in that moment is that something you've had to entrain in yourself or no <laughs> i don't have that problem uh yeah i think that's it isn't it you don't have that problem and that's why I'm, I'm i'm but i'm i i have i work with lots of clients who do have that problem and need support. And it helps you look, there's rational. This is not just, oh, let it all hang out, go wild, go crazy, be artistic. There's lots of evidence that 
for example, you what you just explained, beautiful, uh, being present, being connected to nature, seeing deeply, following your passion in an artistic way, not only enhances your well-being, strengthens your immune system, yeah, I did, I did. more energy, also expands your perspective and makes you a more creative, innovative thinker. So in, in the U.S. and I think elsewhere now around the world, they have a lot of these initiatives. They call them STEM. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Science, technology, engineering, math. But what's really fascinating is a study done by some researchers from Massachusetts Institute of Technology. They just looked at all the data. Members of the, in the US, we have the National Academy of Sciences. There are top science, scientists, engineers, technologists, mathematicians. The members of the, uh, of the National Academy of Sciences are 1.7 times more likely to have an artistic pursuit than regular scientists, technologists, engineers, and mathematicians. In England, it's 1.8 times more likely, if you're in the, in the Royal Academy, uh, it's because you're much more likely, 1.8 times more likely to have an artistic pursuit. And Nobel laureates are 2.8 times more likely to have an artistic pursuit than right. your standard scientist, technologist, engineer, mathematician. So Leonardo turns STEM into STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And this is part of the magic of, of da Vinci thinking. And it's the fifth principle for thinking like Leonardo, arte scienza, integrate art and science, integrate logic and imagination, understand the natural rhythm of the creative process, which is to generate ideas, explore, be in the moment, be present, then shift into analytical mode, evaluate the ideas, study them, critique them, then go back to think more expansively and find the, the most productive people in the sciences or the arts or in business are those who find the rhythm between those modalities. People are, if you're stuck in your imagination, if you're always just uh, being one with the tree and, and sketching it, yeah, you're right, you'll never make any money. Uh, but if you're always just driving and trying to be productive, you'll just keep doing the same thing. So the ability to shift between those modalities and then, this is what I've worked on now for over 40 years with real companies is how do you create a culture in your company where people understand that and they know how to run a meeting so they know how to let their ideas, how to share ideas, how to generate lots of ideas. Then they know how to shift modalities, analyze those ideas, prioritize them, investigate them, study them, and then shift back into the more imaginative mode. And to find, when you find that harmony, it's amazing how productive and creative you become and how much more enjoyable it is to do whatever you do. So that, that's 
in essence, what I, what I teach people and what I teach companies how to do. Right. So is, is that part something that you've had to um, find a way to discipline yourself around? Have you, if you just let it all hang out, you know, knowing that moment, okay, enough, enough of the creativity for today. Now I need to knuckle down and do something analytical. Is, is that something you've had to develop or, or did that come naturally as well? Well, I'd say, I'd say I've definitely developed it. Studying Leonardo helped me develop it. Studying Thomas Edison helped me develop it. Studying many other geniuses, Einstein, Shakespeare, Plato, Queen Elizabeth I, Darwin, Gandhi, Copernicus, Brunelleschi. Studying great geniuses, I saw that they all did this. They all, so if you want to, if you want to, elevate your capacities study what the smartest people who ever lived how how did they approach challenges and i'm part of what i seem to be gifted at is looking at lots of disparate things and seeing the universalities so even though every great genius is different there's a lot that they all have in common and I've been studying what do they all have in common? And then most importantly, how can we apply it? And yeah, I do apply it to what I do, which is why there's some mojo behind it. This <laughs> is why you're onto your 17th book. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and the other, the other way, you, you speak in the book about half wits and whole brain, right? Like, that that really resonated with me, like this idea that the job is to is to not be a halfwit and to use our whole brain uh, and apply it. And the other thing you say right at the start of the book is this stat around um, how much of our intellect is genetically driven. And I thought it was somewhere near eighty percent in some of the reading I'd done, but you were actually suggesting it's more like fifty fifty, which then suggests that actually there's a lot more you can do to develop your your intellect actually since since i wrote because i wrote the book in 1998 that's when it was first published and we did a second edition in 2004 but since then it turns out that my my estimate was too conservative in terms of the potential that you have to develop yourself we've learned that you have much even more potential than i had imagined in the research suggested back in 1998 to develop your, not just your verbal intelligence, not just your mathematical intelligence, but your emotional intelligence, your mechanical intelligence, your musical intelligence, your athletic kinesthetic intelligence, your spiritual intelligence. So as aspiring contemporary Renaissance men and women, of course, want to develop all of our intelligences and to continue to do that throughout life. Because that's the other thing we've learned since the book came out is that it used to be believed that you were at your best at age 28 or 30 and it was all going to be a slow decline from there. Yeah, this idea that your intelligence crystallizes somehow, right? Right. And it turns out you can keep improving your brain as you get older. You just have to know how to use it 
fortunately, the way to use it is to think like Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, yeah, and I have to say, you, you lay it out with all the exercises in the book as the way to develop it, quite practical exercises, um, some of which I've been doing. Yeah, the eye rub, for example, right? The idea you, you rub your eyes to develop your senses. That was really important, right? And, but actually, uh, cup, you cup, your, cup your eyes, right? Yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't rub them. That's right. Cup them. your eyes, hold them for five minutes, <laughs> open your eyes. <laughs> Got to put a disclaimer on this. Don't rub your eyes, no. Cup your palms, rub your palms together. Rub your palms, cup your eyes. Yeah. Rub your palms together, cup them, close your eyes, cover the orbits of your eye, not your eyeball, eyeballs, then breathe deeply into your lower belly, slowly, smoothly, and deeply into your lower belly. Do that for a few breaths, just resting your eyes and your mind, breathing deeply. Then, when you're ready, you take your hands away and you open your eyes as though you're seeing the world for the first time. Go back and look at your ash tree. Look at the leaves, look at anything with those fresh eyes. People say, well, how, how do your geniuses see the world in a fresh way? So that's an example. That's a simple, practical exercise, genius cultivation exercise for seeing the world in a fresh way. And it actually works. Yeah, no, I can attest. I was looking at a river actually at the time when I did the exercise, and the and and there was a boat, and it was it was red, and there was another somewhere else that was there was slightly different, a different slightly shade of orange, and these these colours popped in a different way, and I suddenly see the contrast between these this red and this orange, and it, I mean it sounds kind of simple, but it, but it did. I got something from it. Yes, well that's 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 the Italians call it. Uh, Dolce Vita, and the French call it joie de vivre, right? The joy of living, the sweet life. It's, and it's the name of, of our conversation. It's about the real essence of being human. So it's, you know, it's interesting that you didn't call this doing human. Right. Call it being human. So because a lot of us are driven to do, and that's important. Look, well, I'm, I'm an achievement-oriented person. That's why people usually listen to podcasts because they want to achieve more and accomplish more and all that good stuff. And I want you to, but if you do it in a way that compromises your soul, if you do it in a way that sacrifices your joie, your dolce, uh, if your vive and your vita become depleted and you've you know, garnered a certain amount of cheese, but now you're a rat, well, I don't see that as uh, worthwhile. <laughs> so Leonardo... Don't become too cheesy. Right, exactly. Leonardo uh, teaches us the integration of being and doing, of our consciousness, our awareness, our presence, and our accomplishment, our achievement, our manifestation. And that will, it will result, by the way, in more happiness, more fulfillment, and more success. So once you know that, why would you do anything else? Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I have to say, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely 
it, it's the first, I suppose, self-help book, if you can call it that. And that seems to degrade it in some sense because it's it's actually a, it's a history and it's, it's it seems to be more than that. But um, that has has such a sense of sort of holistic development, right? It really does. You know, this is about developing all aspects of your of yourself, and it, uh, you know, based on a model that historically you know, we know this 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 is the life philosophy of one of our greatest geniuses yeah that's yeah that's so that's that's it it's like he really is perhaps the most supreme expression of human capabilities of power and potentiality in one individual uh painting not just the mona lisa but the last supper and other masterpieces that change the whole evolution of art and perception. Inventing the parachute before anybody could fly. Yeah, and, and it that, turns out if you, and if you used the different dimensions to that he wrote in his, in his notebook, it, it wouldn't work, right? So they got it exactly right. Practical, way, way, way ahead of, uh, ahead of their time. So it's funny because... I once had somebody sort of complain in a playful way. They said, this book, I mean, it would take me forever to really get through it if I did all the exercises. So, you know, I don't, how long would it take me to you know, get through all the exercises? I said, hopefully you would never be able to finish it if you did everything it would take you your whole life. So, and I can tell you, you know, I wrote the book and what, 22 years ago, it came out. That means I started working on it 20, 27 years ago. And I got to tell you, the fun thing for me is I go through it and I learned something new <laughs> myself, just like you did, because it doesn't matter who you are. You can see that color in a fresh way or that shape or make a connection that you wouldn't have made before. And this is part, this is part of the secret of life. I mean, you want to stay young as you get chronologic, chronologically old. Well, it's the joy of discovery. It's curiosita. It's the motive power. It's the fountain of youth. If you're, if you're become as many people do first, they become skeptical, which is good. We train people to be open-minded skeptics, but then they become cynical. Cynicals, cynics are broken-hearted idealists. So then, and, and the, the, when you lose your enthusiasm, the breath of life, the breath of the divine, that's what enthusiasm means. Well, then you're, you know, you're, start, you're, you're on your way towards spiritual arteriosclerosis. And, I got to tell you, you know, what's really so Leonardo da Vinci did these dissections because he wants to understand the secret of life, right? And he writes in his notebooks that premature death is frequently caused, I'm not making this up, by a blocking of the arteries, which he attributes to poor diet and lack of exercise. Now that's over 500 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the original anti-vaxxer, perhaps. <laughs> right. 
very skeptical of medicine. Well, I think he, he, he was, you know, he was, the reason he was skeptical of medicine at the time was because medicine at the time was not scientific. So I don't think he would have been an anti-vaxxer across the board. Uh, I think he, he would have supported scientifically validated, effective vaccination programs, which have saved countless lives around the world. So, you know, he was, he was trying to champion science before science existed. So when he's criticizing a lot of uh, medicine of the time, it's because it, it, it wasn't scientifically based and it wasn't based on observation and practical study. It was based on superstition. So today, if, if Leonardo was around today, he'd probably support integrative medicine. He'd support yeah. functional medicine. He'd support really looking at what works, whether it happens to be from some indigenous source of wisdom or from a big pharma lab. He wouldn't have a preconception about one or the other of those things being rubbish or dismissing anything. He'd look to really test what works, what can be replicated in double-blind studies to, to help to actually help people. And he would, all, but he would also look, I was just talking to a fellow who's a, a brilliant scientist who's created a test to help prevent unnecessary prescriptions of antibiotics. Because Leonardo, would, he'd look at antibiotics and he'd say, well, this is great if it helps somebody to, to avoid death from this particular infection. But if they're overprescribed and we, we have people developing too much of a tolerance so that we have strains of bacteria that become resistant and we're creating super bacteria, super bugs that will harm us, he, he would look at the systems approach and not just at the symptomatic approach. Uh, so it's, it's, it, it's, I'm glad you brought this up because it, 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 it's, 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 it's really at any time, what we're really talking about is being very smart and very wise. Some people are very smart, they're not so wise. And some people are just plain stupid. <laughs> we can't help them. <laughs> we can help them if they want help. But my definition of stupid is you think you know it all and you don't want help. <laughs> then then right. we can't help you, but they're not watching this show and they're not reading my book anyway. So God bless them. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the systems approach, the whole system. And then the other he talks about the, that a lot of the disease is a discord that we're experiencing in the body, right? Which the, the way I read it, as you relate it in the book was, you know, Often it's about looking within. It's not looking for that pill out there, right, to fix you. It's, 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 it's looking to the whole system. And I'd even, you know, because I, I, I will go beyond the, the dichotomy we have of in here and out there. Right. I don't, I don't even think there's a, a, a difference, ultimately. I mean, all, all you know, all I know, all anybody knows is their experience. 
and your experience, you have, you have thoughts and categories in which you place your experience. So one thought is, for example, go, let's go back to something earlier. You had this thought, no doubt imposed on you by family or your milieu, or I don't know if you went to Cambridge, but it could be at Cambridge. <laughs> I failed to get into Cambridge. That's a sore point. That's okay, great. Or, uh, but this, this idea that, oh no, I shouldn't be enjoying the, the, this beauty at the moment and sketching it in my sketchbook. I should be studying for something or achieving something or building something or preparing to sell something and, and, and so on and so forth. So we internalize these messages, which are, which are mostly delivered because they're not ill-intentioned. It's just people through generations doing the best they can, but we, we bifurcate our sense of joy, happiness, presence, and achievement, accomplishment, and success. And that, that to me, is a flawed, fundamentally flawed way of thinking about life. It, le it leads to lack of fulfillment. It leads to unhappiness. So the Vincian way of thinking is to, is, all starts with curiosity. We ask the question, how can I Im imbue my expression of whatever my profession is with as much life and joy and fulfillment and presence and service and kindness as possible? And, and you were asking me before, how does all this relate to the healing organization? That's how it relates. The healing organization is just asking Leonardo da Vinci type questions about business. Business, unfortunately, especially in the last 40 or 50 years, has been based on a, on a flawed bifurcation, separating out the interests of shareholders from the rest of society. And the result has been a disaster for everybody except some lucky shareholders. But even for them, because they have to live in the world in which the, they've ruined the environment and, and, and created conditions for some of the difficult circumstances we're all experiencing at the moment. So, and even they've started to realize this. I mean, the business roundtable you know, got up uh, last year and said, hey, this is not sustainable. We can't keep this up. People are waking up because it's just that fundamentally discordant unhealthy way of looking at business is destroying the world. So wait, we got to fix that. We got to change that. We got to change the way we think about business. So the healing organization is da Vinci thinking applied to business. Healing means return to wholeness. Now my co-author, you talk to him, so you know, Raj, he did all the research show that if you take a holistic perspective in your business and care for all of your stakeholders, you'll make more money. Right. So why would you ever, once you know, and I'm going to read, read his book, read Firms of Endearment, read the case studies we give you in, in the healing organization. And there's much more than just what we've written. There's, this is, this is a, a wave it's, this is a mega trend. It's not a fad. It's not a little trend. It's a mega trend. It's a, 
it's a fundamental shift of a paradigm. And by the way, speaking of genius, it's the original intention of Adam Smith. Adam right. Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, but he also wrote 17 years before that, The Theory of Moral Sentiments. And somehow we've, we've been all wealth of nations and no moral sentiments. So the healing organization says, let's rebalance for the benefit of all. So this is connezione, the seventh principle for thinking like Leonardo da Vinci. Right, right, right. And, and what you spoke of there, you know, it's, it's bad for the shareholders too, because ultimately they're connected. And actually in your, the, the art of connection, you, this beautiful metaphor in Indra's net, can you, can you explain that a bit? I think it perfectly sums up what we're talking about here. Yes, well, it's just, it's, it's this ancient way of thinking about the universe as an endless net of jewels, each one reflecting the other. It's, it's, it's an ancient philosophical notion that prefigured the holographic theory of the universe put forward by David Bohm and colleagues that everything is reflected in everything else, which is actually what Leonardo da Vinci said. Leonardo said, everything is connected to everything else. So that if everything is connected, then it's easier to, it's natural to think in a more holistic way. <laughs> And that's what, what enlightenment is, is when you realize that everything's connected. But then we say, you know, after enlightenment, more laundry, because, okay, now you realize everything's connected, but you still grew up, we all did with these habits of looking at things in a disconnected way, of ourselves in this disconnected way. So then integrating enlightenment is translating that understanding. What's the implication? If we know that everything is connected, what are the implications of that for how we treat one another? What are the implications of that for how I structure my business? What's the implications of that for how I, and, and you know, look, I'm working with companies now who've had to high, you know, healing organizations with a higher purpose, but they've had to furlough people. They've had to make drastic, but they, it's amazing to see. I'm working with a leader company in New Jersey He's had to furlough 40% of his workforce, but he calls every single one of them every day. And he's, he's going to be back up in, in a month. All those people are going to get their jobs back. The company's going to be stronger. He's going to pay all the bonuses that they earned from last year because he really, really cares. And because he does, all those people feel it. And a lot of them are, are, are spending their furlough time thinking about how they can be even better at what they do when they come back. So it doesn't mean this is not just some la la woo woo. Oh, if we all just meditate, everything's going to work out. No, this is, this takes real challenging grappling with, with grave life difficulties. But when you do that with a sense of higher purpose and with a Da Vincian curiosita, when you're asking more holistic, connected questions in the framework of a healing organization. You're more creative, 
you have more joie in your vive and more dolce in your vita. Yeah. And which actually picks up for something else. I mean, there you touched on this particular leader, but you also speak in the, the art of connection, how the, the leadership style is shifting, right? And I think you refer to the Goldman archetypes and how we're moving from originally it was the authoritative visionary leader tended to be the one that correlated most with success. And now we're going more to this sort of democratic facilitative leader. And is that part of this mega trend? Well, I would say, I actually say that the truly authoritative leader is more needed than ever before. Oh. What we've, what we're, we've, what we've seen is a, in the healthy leadership styles, the, the authoritative actually it has the most positive effect on the culture of an organization. Democratic, you ask people for their ideas, has become much more popular in the last 40 years and is very important in the world of work today, as is the affiliative leader who's good at, at just being human with people, at connecting with people purely out of a sense of caring. And then the coaching leader is the leader who helps you develop and grow. So my view of the authoritative leader, the authoritative leader sets a higher purpose and empowers people to achieve it, and then provides them coaching, listens to their ideas, is democratic, and gives them a sense that she or he cares about them. So that's that's the contemporary authoritative leader. The two styles that are net negative, according to the research, are the command and control style, which used to be the dominant style, and unfortunately has had a, some kind of short-term resurgence <laughs> before it goes down in flames soon uh, globally, uh, combined with the pace setter, which is, is the micromanager. And each of, these, you know, each of these is driven by a deep level of assumption. Uh, the command and control style has a, a basic underlying thing that says, I know best and everybody else is an idiot. The, uh, and that's not sustainable in the world today. <laughs> the the uh, pace setter style says, if you want something done, do it yourself. So they're hardworking, they're driving, but they micromanage. And, you know, when it, that might work in a crisis. And command and control can work in a crisis if it's principled. But all the data that Goldman reports in his classic HBR paper, Leadership That Gets Result, shows that over time, the command and control style and the pace setter style have a net negative effect on the climate of a business. And climate is, or culture, is about 30% of your financial return. So you see how this goes back to the healing organization. All the, there's a method to this madness, The Art of Connection, The Healing Organization, Da Vinci, and all these other books are part of a, a systems approach to the empowerment of individuals and organizations. So it, it all fits together. The, the authoritative leader has a higher purpose, a healing vision, a mission that inspires people. And then that person listens to ideas to make more informed decisions so people feel that they're engaged. 
a democratic leader doesn't mean that people get to vote on what the leader does, but the leader is informed. I call it a democracy of idea. And authoritative leaders understand that because the weakness, if, if a culture is too de democratic and for a business, it's paralyzed. It's very hard to actually get anything done. It, can, it, it sometimes works when you have very evolved consciousness and communication with people. But usually you need someone to, to step forward and take, take the responsibility. And that's so, so rare in the world. Yeah, I got to tell you, we live in New York State and our governor, Governor Cuomo, is one of the rare humans who just stepped into a great moment in history to show real leadership. Early on, he said something. Here's the way we're going to deal with this crisis based on science, based on what I'm learning from the absolute best thinking. And he said, and if you don't like it, blame me. Right. That's authoritative. I'm telling you, that's authoritative leadership. That's say, I take responsibility. I care about everybody. I'm being I'm listening to the smartest, best people. And I'm going to report to you every day. That's also being more open, being honest, being accessible. And humility, right? I mean, it wasn't quite maybe he didn't he come out and say wish it it sounded the bugle earlier, right? Um Tremendous, tremendous, uh, yeah, and, and that's, as you remember from the Art of Connection, that's the first chapter, real leaders embrace humility. Embrace humility, yeah. We've seen that not just in the governor, but we've seen it in, I've seen it through the course of my career because I've been blessed and I'm still blessed that the people who engage me are usually visionary, aspiring, healing leaders who want to be more creative, they want to be more innovative. They want to bring out the best in other people. And they're humble enough to, you know, pay a coach. <laughs> they say, I want to learn. I want to grow. I'm not a know-it-all. And these are very smart people. Believe me, I learn a lot of what I know from my clients because I paid attention. I, I was... I had the sense of almost awe because I knew I, in the beginning, when I started my career, I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know much about most things because I was young. Uh, I knew a lot about what I had studied and what I had written my first book about. And I knew a lot about mind mapping and speed reading and memory development and the Alexander technique and juggling. So I knew a lot about, I knew, I knew how to coach tennis. I knew, I knew a lot about what I knew about, and I was very confident in that, but I also knew that I knew almost nothing else. <laughs> I didn't know about how the world worked. I didn't know how business worked. So I paid and still pay a lot of attention. I learn a tremendous amount from my clients every day. And I, I mean, I'd say I'm, more excited about learning now than ever before. And part of that is because now we have all of human knowledge available to us instantaneously, pretty much for free. So wouldn't you think that the ability to curate the questions that you formulate might be more 
useful and powerful than ever before in human history. I hadn't thought of it that way, yeah. If, if, if you're just driven by habitual mindset, you're going down one rabbit hole after another that advertisers and social media sites are trying to just suck your attention and they're professionals at doing it. So you, you're, you're just surrendering your nervous system to some commercial lowest common denominator rubbish dump like the borg isn't it it's like the right. you know the That's cyber borg is just going to you will be assist, you will be assimilated resistance is futile except resistance is not futile uh, resistance is essential I, I i just so there's a lot of bad news a lot of fake news a lot of contentious news a lot of upsetting news and it's really easy to get one's psyche one's being completely just immersed in that and and really good luck getting it back so i you know i, I stay informed but I, I i'm disciplined about not having all of that things that i can't do anything about that are in my circle of concern not my circle of influence i pay attention to them but I work on being free from having them dominate my psychic space. So I just put in Bach the other day into my search. And I spent hours listening to some of the greatest recordings of Bach. And I was trying to find like, what's the best, uh, for me, what's the most beautiful recording of the well-tempered clavier, just for example. And I found a version so exquisitely performed and comparing it with the ones that are more famous, some of the ones that are more famous, they're still beautiful because it's all bomb. But I mean, I went to sleep that night with the sounds of Bach echoing in my soul instead of a lot of other stuff that could easily have been polluting my, my psyche and ruining my sleep, about which I could do nothing. So much better to go to sleep with, with you know, air on a G-string, with Jesu joy of man's desiring, with the clavier, with the box mass and B minor. Listen to a couple of versions of box mass and B minor. That's an exercise in how to think like Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, you give these tech because I must admit I'm I'm in pretty much an ignoramus when it comes to classical music. But you give these, which I thought was very useful actually, ten pieces because you you'd surveyed all your friends and experts in the field, right, to give you the, like the ten best classical pieces to listen to. And I have been looking them up on Spotify, and, and I'm working my way down the list actually. That's. I just want you to reframe. So. It's it's not. Don't, one mustn't feel that one needs to know all this automatically. How are you supposed to know this if you haven't already studied it, if you haven't immersed yourself in it? Uh, so I didn't know anything about it. I'm, I wasn't particularly, I mean, I'm much more sophisticated about classical music now because I'm married to a world-class singer. Right, yeah. That's in the book, and that's in the Art Connection, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So, and what's really great is I, 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 she's got the most amazing ear 
I mean, she she can. We walk along. Uh, so you were you were drawing the the leaves and the stuff. Uh, I go for this walk. We live in the rock near the Rockefeller State Preserve, and I walk with my wife, and she has so attuned me to the, all the different sounds, especially the sounds of all the birds. And she can do all the bird calls because her ear is so perfect and her instrument is so perfect. She does, like we're hearing the birds and then she does them and it's, it's just so uncanny. So I've, I've had this, fabulous 16-year journey since I met her of attuning my auditory sense. And what's really fun is I go to her and say, hey, sweetheart, I found this version of Bach, of the well-tempered clavier. And it sounds to me, I, to me, it's the sweetest, purest. Our thing about uh, music, especially with the great composers, is who transmits them without adding their own egotism. Who brings me pure Bach with just the love of the divine that's in that music? So that's what I felt came through in this particular pianist. And I, and I, I shared it with her and she resonated, so to speak, with, with my perception. Uh, even though this person was less famous than some of the more famous interpreters, she agreed with me that his interpretation was more fundamentally soulful and true to Bach. So the point is, all you have to have here in the world today is a question, because you can then call up for free all these versions of Bach. And you could do the same thing with, I also did this with, other inspirational songs from other genres. Because I mean, I, you know, I know a lot of people who are struggling, so I send them poetry, I send them music, I send them meditations. And listen to Luther Vandross singing The Power of Love. It'll, it'll however you're feeling, you're gonna it's feel It's making better. me smile right now, I just think about it. Yeah. Right? Right? Listen to that song, you're gonna, you're gonna feel better. I'm, tar- I'm sorry. So need help they need hope they need inspiration so it's all available but it just depends the question you ask and the button that you press yeah and again these all link right because the the discipline is something that i'm becoming more consciously aware of right where i'm surfing i'm listening to watching the news i'm you know i'm i'm sort of taking in trash um so so it, it requires discipline for me to develop my soul let's say or develop my whole brain because i have to engage in different activities but that's going to be driven to some extent by the questions i'm asking myself it'll be driven by the questions that i'm asking myself right it will be yes yes it will be and but you must also assume that the borg are running the stream that you get the default stream that you get so you will be assimilated by the borg if you're not cognizant, yeah, you're on a starship and you're the captain. <laughs> right, right. But I guess even in, in, in Da Vinci's day, there would have been 
popular entertainments that could have distracted him that he must have developed the discipline to sort of popular entertainments that were the problem. It was the mindset of much of the Middle Ages that everything worth knowing was already known. Right. Yeah, I suppose the religious dogma. Dogma and superstition. uh, Right. And confluence of the two. Yeah. So that, that was what locked down the freedom of of thought and people were questioning was not encouraged. Obedience, unthinking obedience was what was encouraged. And there are plenty are trying to encourage it now. And not just obvious political forces that want to encourage that, but commercial forces. When you when you're hypnotized to get addicted to stuff because it's got a lot of sugar in it, it's got a huge fat content in it, and it's gonna ultimately make you obese and diabetic and miserable, but you can't stop eating it because it's driven into your brain and nervous system. And it's, it's just, I'm telling you, like, that's there. If you're not curating your soul every time you go on any media, you'll get addicted to eating something that is just bad for you. Yeah. Just for example. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great metaphor. And, and even again, I mean, Da Vinci was like the original, well, he's a vegetarian, right? Simple foods, simple meals, yeah. yeah. So he was... Also that food should be beautiful. It should be fresh. He gives, you know, this is in the book. He gives really, this is the Da Vinci diet in the book because he gives really very clear advice to his students, which is eternally wise. Eat the freshest, most wholesome food that you can find. Uh, or as Michael Pollan stated in The Omnivore's Dilemma, don't eat anything that your grandmother wouldn't recognize as food. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And I'm, I am going to cook your minestrone soup. It's, it's many have and are, are very pleased with it. My grandmother, Grandma Rosa, legacy lives on. Right, right. And just as we were touching on on leadership there, and and I suppose we broadening out to developing ourselves. Something that a question in my mind that came up was: it seems to me that there is this school that says. What's important is to develop our strengths, is to recognize what our strengths are and, and develop those strengths and then pair ourselves or, or, or get ourselves into teams with others who have complementary strengths versus perhaps another school, which is actually it's important to identify your weaknesses, identify where you're weak and develop those. And it seemed to me that you were somewhat more in the latter camp. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> so, but let, let's... And I'm glad you brought this one up because the the strengths model serves organizational purposes, but they do not does not necessarily serve the fulfillment and the full expression or even the ultimate success of the individuals who are 
being slotted in and utilized for their strengths. Because when there's big change, which there is more and more now, your strength may no longer be relevant to the new world. So that's when you need to know how to learn something that you're not good at. Plus, not good at naturally. You can develop. Once, see, once you have a growth mindset, you realize you can learn pretty much anything. Once you know how to learn, and that's, again, this is a lot of what we go into in how to think like Leonardo Vinci. Once you have a, an understanding of the nature of the learning process and you feel that you can learn anything you, you want to learn, to me, that's the most valuable knowledge that on practical level that any of us can have. So then you begin working on the areas that are not the strengths. And here's the other reason that's so important. Turns out that's the, the most potent way to promote neuroplasticity and to improve your mind as you get older. So instead of just continuing to repeat what you're good at, consciously, deliberately learning that which doesn't come easy it makes sense. It recruits the parts of your brain that aren't really activated. And that's how you strengthen your brain as you get older. So you correctly assessed my position on this one. Yeah. No, and, and that's always been my inclination, but I wanted, yeah, I wanted to get your take on it as, as to, to the rationale. Uh, yeah. And, and the other thing you've added in, so it's not just about my, my human potential and that in and of itself is enough really, but also as organizations change, this need for us to be more ambidextrous, so to speak, is going to be important. And actually you talk about ball players, right? Becoming increasingly good in multiple positions as an example. Well, and, 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 and in every sport too, but take basketball, my, my favorite sport, the, there used to be uh, two guards, two fours and, and, and a center. Then they made it a one, a two, a three, a four, and a five. So you had a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, a power forward, and a center. What we're evolving towards is five LeBron James, Kevin Durant's, people who are six foot nine, seven foot tall, who can play point forward, point center, who can, who can defend any body on the floor who can hit three-point shots who can block shots who can do whatever needs to be done so there's this this evolution of the way people think about the game and the roles that, that people play and there's a similar evolution in in the workplace so People who are in a, let's say you were in that strength system. And then, I mean, I was with a big pharma company in the 1990, early 1990s doing a seminar on developing creative potential when they announced their first ever layoffs. And they'd never had layoffs in the history of this company. And all of a sudden, there were, there were four or 5,000 people we're finding out that day that they were losing their jobs. And that was just the first of wave after wave after wave after wave of, of layoff. 
And you had people, you know, their strength might not have been giving a presentation, for example. Their strength was doing science and particularly working on this kind of uh, assay in a clinical study, for example. And all of a sudden, there was no demand for that. They had no job. They had lots of training, but they had to, people use the cliche as reinvent yourself. So I think the skill of reinvention isn't something you want to have to learn in a crisis all of a sudden. Let's <laughs> see, read the book now before it's prescribed to you by your physician, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that makes that that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Wow, it's been quite a conversation. Fun. I'm just wondering if there's uh, any any sort of major theme here that we might have have, have left have left out as we've sort of taken this tour from Da Vinci to the to the healing organization and back again. Well, the nature of these kinds of conversations is. People ask me, like, when does a mind map end? Theoretically, mind maps never end because, as Leonardo said, we could connect everything with everything else. But in terms of this conversation, <laughs> we just let's just tie it together because, yes, there are plenty more uh, themes. But you asked me at the beginning, is, is how does Da Vinci tie into the healing organization and how does that tie in to the art of connection? So let's just stick with those those three themes, those three books. The healing organization is an asked a new question or the original question that, that Adam Smith asked. It's bringing back, it's a renaissance of that question is how do we integrate the theory of moral sentiments with the wealth of nations? How do we craft organizational structures and, and the way capital and the way we think about and allocate capital based on a concern for all stakeholders, concern for core human values and human welfare, the common good. So the healing organization goes deep into that. First, it looks at how we lost the alignment with Smith's original vision and how we can get it back. And then the heart of the book is stories of companies that are really doing this. And people read those stories there super inspired because it helps them to know that that it's possible and here are real real companies really doing it raj and i know how did people get in our book it's because we knew them the best there are plenty of other people doing this but we told the stories and we even us when we we wrote the book we read these stories to this day we still cry because they're so moving it's so inspiring that there's so much human goodness and then the last, I cried several times during that book, I have to say. Then the last part of the healing organization tells you how you can, you can do this and how you can be a healing leader. And part of the real answer to how you can be a healing leader is learn to think like Leonardo da Vinci and learn the art of connection. So think like da Vinci and the art of connection are the real life skills you need if you want to apply this more noble way of doing business. That's how it all fits together. Well, we did it. We can, well, you did it. <laughs> you, you connected them beautifully. Yeah.
so th- thank you so much, Michael. Um, yeah, I really, I really feel like the, the books and now this conversation have, have massively enriched me. Um, I hope I could do my part in getting these ideas out there, getting more people turned on to this way of thinking, being, uh, and it will, it will make our, our world a, a better place. I mean, and, and society a better place. That's the other point you make in the healing organization is there's a role for businesses and organizations to have this bigger impact on society and pull people in from these extremist political stances you know, heal, heal society, not just have better organizations for people to work in, right? Exactly. And, and part of why we emphasize the, the corporation and the business organization is that is the point of leverage that we think is, is best positioned to help heal society. But that will take place because of individual awakening. That's why the subtitle is Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. And there is no real conscience of business. There's just individual conscience of human beings. And as they awaken, which they are, then they, they say, wait a minute. They ask, start asking new questions. How can we do this in a more inclusive, respectful, compassionate, intelligent, abundant, thoughtful way? Yeah. And then each jewel is reflected in the next jewel. And so this is a way to... So, but, you can polish, polish up your own jewels so to be a better reflection, a better mirror. This is what, you know, we, it's interesting how this ancient metaphor of Indra's net is reflected in the notion of mirror neurons. Right. We all mirror one another for better or for worse. So emotions are contagious for better or for worse. So be careful what you catch and spread. And as you immerse yourself in Da Vinci, you spread endless curiosity and independent thinking and appreciation of beauty. And that's, that makes a better world. A beautiful world puts more dolce in your vita or joie. Joie in your vivre. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. All right. So before we came on air, you did mention uh, this ability people have now to enter an online program and become immersed in this training around Da Vincian thinking. Could you share a bit more about that? Absolutely. Thank you. Well, so we've had such a demand over the years, even though the, you know, the book, there's 700,000 copies of the book in print and it's in 25 languages. There, there's still a very limited number of people that over the years that I've been able to actually take through the live Da Vinci seminar, usually corporate executives, fortunately for me in beautiful places with great wines at dinner. So you're going to have to get your own wine, but we made the course for you. Uh, We've uh, put together the really the best of everything from how to think like Leonardo da Vinci in beautifully produced online learning experience video so if people want to learn more about that, the, the best thing to do at this point is just go to my website, michaelgelb.com, G-E-L-B, and sign up for my free newsletter because we will send on the newsletter the announcement of how to get the, the video. So if you go to the website now, you won't, it's, the video is not on there yet because it's not released. We're, but it is... I. The truth is, I saw 
I saw it this morning. I made it. I wrote the script and I performed it, but I just got it back from the video, our, our genius videographer sent it to me this morning. And it's fabulous. I, I, when, when it's your life's work and then you're, you're dependent on other people to do the video and do the graphics and do the music, you know, I'm pretty, I have to say, I'm pretty critical. I, I want it to be an expression worthy of, of Da Vinci. And it is. So I'm super excited about this. I, I actually, what I did, <laughs> I wrote back, the, the video artist wrote to me, he said, what do you think? Uh, and he copied the, the producer who's sponsoring the whole thing and the company that's going to release this. And I said, raise the price. <laughs> but we, no, we won't raise it. It's going to be really, it's going to be very accessible. The goal is to make this accessible to the whole world. I mean, my, my vision has always been every child, every child in the world gets, gets to grow up learning to think like the greatest genius who ever lived. So that, that's, wow. that's what this is about. So come to michaelgeld.com, sign up for our, our free newsletter, and you will be the first to know how to, how to get, and the first lessons are gonna be free anyway. We're gonna send you free videos, and then it's, it's, it's not gonna be expensive when you get the whole thing. And the whole thing, it's gonna be one of these things that really it's priceless, it's life-changing, and it'd be very accessible because we want to make it as accessible as we can to the whole world. Fantastic. Right. Well, everyone get on that website and uh, that, that, that sounds, that sounds brilliant. Uh, and if you're impatient, yeah, get the books. Think like Da Vinci, the art of connection, the healing organization. I well, personally read, I can attest to those, but I know you've got others as well. So thank you once again. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.